coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. Because it's what's happening is we've been eating some of the basic things we grow up on that have high oxalate are potatoes, peanuts, chocolate. So as a kid, you're given peanuts and potatoes like tater tots in school, French fries, chips, mashed potatoes, baked potatoes, they're everywhere. And then peanut butter is like a standard thing until the allergy thing happened now. Right. People, a little less sending it to school, but... And who doesn't love peanut butter? It's addictive. Peanuts <laughs> generally can be kind of addictive. And a lot of these high oxalate foods like potatoes, chocolate, and peanut butter are great examples of standard foods that have this addictive pull. You start using them too much. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed Sally Norton. She's an Ivy League nutritionist and author of the book, Toxic Superfoods, How Oxalate Overload is Baking You Sick and How to Get Better. We discussed how oxalates were affecting Sally and how it could be affecting your health, along with problems with so-called superfoods like almonds and spinach ways to detox from oxalates, can you cook oxalates out of your foods, advantages of using calcium and lemon juice in your diet, and her one tip to get your body back to what it once was. Really enjoyed my interview with Sally. I know you will too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin and I have Sally Norton on. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's fun. Thanks for coming on and uh, glad to have you on. I was talking to you before we went live. We haven't talked too much about oxalates, so we'll get all into that and your book, Toxic Superfoods. But before we touch on that, I was looking into your story. I'd love to hear just sort of your background and how you got into, you know, obviously becoming an author of this book and and all about uh, health and wellness. Yeah, so I'm from the U.S. and um, grew up with people who ate scratch cooking for the most part and I was a kid who loved her vegetables and and uh, I also was a kid who had strep throat and some issues as a little kid and they took out my tonsils at age five, which is horrible. Mm. And it was really obvious to me that it's no good being sick. It's no good going to the hospital, having them do stuff to you. <laughs> right. And by the time I was 12, I was having arthritis and back pains. And that was the same time in my life when I decided I would study nutrition because a uh, science teacher showed this film strip that showed that if you ate bad food, you could get sick with heart disease and cancer. And if you ate the right, supposedly vegetables, that you could not get those things. And I thought, well, who wouldn't want to not get sick? Who wouldn't want to know if you had a choice about whether you'd get sick and end up a patient like I did as a little kid, why wouldn't you want to know that? So I decided then I would study nutrition and didn't have the language for it back then. But basically, I wanted to be in health promotion with nutrition being the core thing. And I haven't changed from that. I'm nearly 60 years old now. And I'm still that same person who believes that food is the basis of our health. And the thing is, I was all misinformed by my professors and my profession in public health. I have a degree in public health as well as nutrition. And my whole world of public health nutrition hasn't got it right. And I'm doing all the right things and was very sick. I struggled with problems my whole life. In college, I had to leave for four years for foot surgery. I had terrible fatigue. I went vegetarian and vegan. I was uh, 16 years total doing those things. 
and I was really sick. Never blame my diet, of course, because I had the perfect diet in my head and in our cultural heads. And that story is still living on, even though old dames like me already tried out all that vegan and vegetarianism and ruined our health. So it took a, it took a total collapse, complete collapse of my health where I couldn't do anything to, for me. And then a three-year experimentation slash additional research to finally land in this weird spot that the arthritis and back pain and stuff that I had as a 12-year-old, the foot problems when I was in college, the fatigue and all the other problems I had were because of my healthy foods. Mm. <laughs> now, you talk about healthy foods. It's a very broad term. Um, <laughs> and, and it a could, very and, slippery term a very yeah. slimy term <laughs> i mean it could mean one thing for one person yep. and something completely different for another person mm -hmm. what were those healthy foods that are so-called healthy foods that you were eating that perhaps caused this issue as a kid we grew up on beet greens chard and uh, rhubarb treats and vegetables occasional potatoes, uh, you know, and then foods we knew weren't too healthy, which also have the same problem or peanuts and so on. And all I continued to grow Swiss chard. I was even growing Swiss chard in college. And um, it was like uh, old home week. Like my dad taught me to put vinegar on greens. And so it was really for me when I quit the vegan thing, it was because I could no longer eat beans and bread. So I started eating sweet potatoes as my starchy staple. So I was eating sweet potatoes every day for years. And it didn't take long, I have no retrospect now, when I started doing the sweet potato, which is another one of these supposed healthy foods that are supposed to be low allergy and full of great things and whatever, it was already ruining me very quickly. I ended up with uh, crow's feet. I'm in my mid to early 30s. I have crow's feet. I had got these little brown spots on my skin, which a dermatologist later told me were age spots, like I would never imagine that at age 34 or whatever I was. I got this lump on my head, which is why I was asking the dermatologist because I had to go in and take off this lump. And I said, well, by the way, I've got these little brown spots. And he laughed at me. I never in my life put it together with the fact that I adopted sweet potatoes as a daily food. So for me, it was that. But for other people, it can be the almonds and nuts and the chia and the hemp and the turmeric and the kiwi and the blackberries. These are all supposedly good foods. And I think it's a place where everyone agrees they're good foods. There's, except maybe the carnivores, there's a real, very little debate that these are good foods when in fact they're toxic. Now, maybe explain to individuals what is toxic within them. You know, I know we said oxalates, perhaps maybe explain that in a little more detail so people understand. Now, oxalate is a foreign language to all of us. So if you've never heard of it, don't, right. it's not because you're out of the loop. It's because nobody's been talking about it. So oxalate is like, what is even doctors? You say, oh, there's oxalates in the food or there's I'm having an oxalate problem. They'll tilt their head like a confused puppy and go, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, which is really sad because it's in the medical literature since the dawn of science. We've been working with oxalic acid, which is a basic chemical. It's a two carbon chemical compound with four oxygens on it. Plants make it. Other pieces in nature like funguses make it. It's very abundant in nature. Uh, and plants use it for lots of things. And it's quite toxic to us if we eat too much of it. So it's in some plant foods we trust. And you can eat too much of it and it grabs minerals. It, it's so we use it 
we started using it as a cleaner in the 1700s and use it in factories to produce textiles. And we use it to bleach wood and etch things. And it's a great chelator of minerals. So it cleans up things. So in Barkeeper's Friend and Zud Cleaner and Wood Bleach, they all use oxalic acid. So you can use oxalic acid, which comes from spinach or wherever, to clean the rust off your patio or literally clean a rusty engine. That's how they use it. Mm. And we're eating it. And it turns into these crystal salts that grabs calcium and other minerals and then starts crystallizing in the body. And you get nanoparticles that are crystalline and even they grow into microparticles. But it's the nanocrystals and the little ions of oxalic acid that are really harsh on your cells and start messing up the basic function of cells, causing oxidative stress and inflammation and accumulation and degeneration, degeneration rather, of tissues. Now, obviously, some people are more sensitive to this than others, right? I'm sure there's some people who had high oxalate foods their whole life and maybe not even have a symptom. Yeah, Uh, well, a lot of diseases can be um, silent too. And this is definitely case with you can be building up lead toxicity, you can be building up a cardiac problem, you can be building up cancer and not have any symptoms. That's definitely the case with oxalate. It's often silent, but you know, just like with lead and mercury, best if you think about that before you fill up your body with lead and mercury or mm-hmm. nanocrystals of oxalate. So even if you don't have symptoms, doesn't mean it's okay to eat it. And even if you don't really ultimately get what you think of as an oxalate problem, which is old age, by the way. So if you avoid old age, if you can get to be 100 and still feel like you're 30, then you didn't have an oxalate problem. But I don't know anybody who's done that. But you do know people who've smoked their whole lives and lived to 100, 120. They may be wrinkled and have stained fingers, but they didn't die of cancer. That doesn't make cigarettes safe for everyone, right? Yeah. So we have to work on our logic with that and also recognize that um, it's not really a sensitivity when we talk about a toxin, it's more of a tolerance level or a more of an ability to mask the problems and to carry on despite the problems where you have deeper reserves, energy reserves, deeper physiologic um, capacity, and that's not well studied. So we can't really predict who's going to get away with the high oxalate foods for very long. But in truth, if you're optimizing your productivity, your brain function, and trying to avoid the problems of old age, you would want to know about how much oxalate you're eating and try to curb that down to something that's within your capacity, which isn't very much really. We're built to handle oxalate because it's a natural compound. The body's aware of it and even makes a little bit in the liver. Mm. But that doesn't mean that our current diets respect our capacity for handling it. So when did you start to realize that it was oxalates? And how did you even know (laughs) that this was causing the issue? And then what did you do to sort of remedy uh, the issue? Well, it's hard to teach someone like me who knows everything about a new problem they don't know about. So, you know, in college, it was like one paragraph here and one paragraph here. And and my biases were, well, it's for kidney stone patients and it does bind calcium. So you don't want to ruin your calcium status by having oxalates in all your meals. And that's all I knew about it. I had no idea that it could lead to a toxicity syndrome, ruin your connective tissues, ruin your bones, cause osteoporosis, cause wrinkled skin, cause dementia. I had no idea about any of that. So of course I'm hard to teach. And I, I, so I never paid attention and actually it's hard to know how much you're eating because we in nutrition and public health aren't paying attention to its prevalence in the foods 
and aren't really having access to really good information about where it is in the food. So how would I know if it's oxalates if I don't even know when I'm eating oxalates or not? And even me, a professional in academia, in nutrition and public health, I am unaware, despite me teaching holistic healing and integrative medicine and doing research grants, I am really unaware of my oxalate intake. And I never heard in school that sweet potatoes were high. So I didn't know that I adopted a high oxalate diet when I added sweet potatoes. So how could you know? You can't know. So I started getting aware of my oxalate intake when I had an attack of vulvar pain. So this is crotch burning and pain and stabbing, and it's really unpleasant. And my husband did a Google search because where do you turn when you have a health problem? Dr. Google. Yeah. <laughs> and he found this vulvar pain foundation. Like there's a <laughs> female crotch pain foundation. I didn't yeah. even know this was a thing. And she's teaching the low oxalate diet. And now at this point in time, it's been, I think, 30 years or more, maybe mm. 31 years that she's been teaching this. Um and they found, they were talking about a connective tissue disorder, kind of a syndrome of connective tissue and inflammatory problems and pelvic pain syndromes. And I didn't have a chronic pelvic pain syndrome. I did have chronic connective tissue problems um, and just generally probably inflamed because I was having autoimmune symptoms. So I, I was desperate though. I was like, okay, I'll buy her stuff. So I started learning about what I was eating and oxalates started curving them. And my crotch pain issue didn't last long. It only lasted, a, you know, bad for three days and kind of lightly bad for three weeks and disappeared. And so I thought the diet was just for pelvic pain. And if I didn't have pelvic pain, it didn't matter. And I was having the sleep disorder that I was trying to rectify. This is why I no longer could function. The sleep studies showed my brain was waking up 29 times every single hour. You can't function when you can't get any decent sleep. And I didn't, I was so tired. I didn't know I wasn't sleeping. I was just in a kind of zoned out coma all night, not actually sleeping, not knowing it. So I was really going after the sleep problem. And nobody told me that oxalates ruin your sleep. So I started adding back in the sweet potatoes because I grow organic vegetables, including organic sweet potatoes. And I didn't feel worse eating them. So I'm like, well, oxalate's not my issue. And I don't have a crotch at you, so I'm fine. But I, in order to handle the sleep problem, I consciously now, now that I knew oxalates, I was adding in kiwi, which is a high oxalate food, two a day to deal with what I thought was SIBO and, and constipation. If I could deal with the SIBO, which is poisoning you and poisoning your brain, making you not sleep, then I could finally sleep again. So I was trying these things to fix my gut problems, adding oxalate. And what happened was over the course of three months, I got stiffer tighter because I was going to a Bikram yoga class three or four times a week. And it was the exact same temperature, the same routine, the same everything. And I kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I started doing yoga back in 1982 when you were like a year old or something like that. <laughs> so I know my body and yoga and it was getting worse and worse. And then my old arthritis was coming back. And I laid in bed one night and thought the kiwi, I had added celery too. Kiwi and the celery and the oxalates are bringing back the arthritis. I thought, holy cow, you mean all that arthritis in my 20s when I was just horrible? It was so bad. I, there was a point where I couldn't turn the key in the knob of my parents' house when my fingers would just blow up so big and so weak that I couldn't open the door. Uh, 
And so it was pretty, my history of arthritis was quite gruesome and it was coming back and I'm like, are you kidding? You mean I went through all of that arthritis because of my high-oxalate vegetables? Oh, oh, brummer. I was so unhappy about, look, I'm trying to sleep, fix my sleep problem. Now I have to do this arthritis diet thing. Like I didn't really want to do, really, I didn't want to do this oxalate thing. And I, I did it and I, my sleep got better within like 10 days. I was reading again and functioning and my foot problems after 30 years of foot problems started clearing up. Like, I was like, well, wait a minute. You mean it's not 15 things wrong with me or 25 things wrong with me. It's just one. It's just oxalate poisoning. And I didn't even quite understand that that's what it is. It's this generalized toxicity syndrome that's occurring in most of us that's causing aging and causing suffering. And we're, we're not aware of oxalates and we're not aware of the connection. So I dove into the science, started teaching this for free and decided that nobody. What, can I'm sorry. What year was this? Like, when did you start, you know, making the change? 2013 was the year that okay. I had the revelation. It was right around Thanksgiving in 2013, where I restarted a really serious attempt at the low oxalate diet because I did not want to have arthritis. And then what did you include in the low oxalate diet? I'm curious. What was it mean? Yeah. So what did I do? I I basically started using instead of sweet potatoes, more things like cauliflower and the cabbage family vegetables, which are low in oxalate. And the following Thanksgiving, I had so many of those cabbage family vegetables on the plate because Thanksgiving is all about the side dishes and how many vegetables and you can look abundant and all like fall harvesty, right? I was quite sick for three days after that Thanksgiving dinner where I had like roasted radishes and pureed cauliflower and roasted cabbage roots, like, you know, the turnips, the rutabaga, the so on. I had so much of that in that meal that I was sick for three days. And Mm -hmm. I realized that my system, it turns out I'm sort of allergic to cabbage and a lot of those things, which can cause this, these like food sensitivities. So if someone is maybe thinking they might have this like oxalate toxicity, um, what would you say good next steps? I mean, do a low oxalate diet, obviously. I'm sure obviously you can Google and see what are some of the, obviously the main things they should do to sort of help clean it out. Well, part of the problem, you know, I was saying that we don't even aware of oxalate is the lists online are all wrong and don't agree. So MD, what is it called? Um, WebMD says, dates are high and they're not. And you can see on my blog, I talk about that a little bit and talk about the mistakes that science are making. I have a beginner's guide with lists and other lists on my website. And the book is loaded with lists, you know? So if you get serious about wanting to learn oxalate, you'll read the book and see the millions of lists and menus ideas. But if you're, I'd say the first thing to start with, if you're picking out on a lot of almonds and almond milk, cashews and peanuts, start there and start cutting those out first, because you don't have to learn it all at once and do it all at once because it just becomes a traumatic shift for your body. And you want to back out of this mess slowly. So you don't trigger the body's vastly excited desire to get rid of this stuff. Cause it's what's happening is we've been eating some of the basic things we grow up on that have high oxalate are potatoes, peanuts, chocolate. So as a kid, you're given peanuts and potatoes, like tater tots in school, French fries, chips, mashed potatoes, baked potatoes, they're everywhere. And then peanut butter is like a standard thing until the allergy thing happened now. Right. A little less sending it to school, but 
And who doesn't love peanut butter? <laughs> right. I mean, it's addictive. Peanuts <laughs> generally can be kind of addictive. And a lot of these high oxalate foods like potatoes, chocolate, and peanut butter are great examples of standard foods that have this addictive pull. You start using them too much. So those are good places to stop. But the problem is we've been eating them as daily staples for decades. And that means you have oxalate in your thyroid gland, your tendons, your bones, your bone marrow, your kidneys. And the kidneys need time to clear out, but the body's been waiting for you to like hit winter when you quit eating this stuff. And I call it winter when you eat because animal foods do not have oxalate in them. And in the old days before refrigerators and, you know, shipping stuff from all over the place and the whole highway system and the boats and trains and planes that now can afford to throw produce all over the planet. You just didn't eat oxalate foods year round. And Peanuts were just invented as human foods about 160 years ago. Chocolate bar was invented about 130 years ago. Like these are new novel foods that we use as staples. We're not built to take it. Um, So start with the nuts and slowly come down because the body, once you get low enough and how much you're taking in, it will start releasing it from inside the body, which is why when I added sweet potatoes back in my diet, I didn't notice I was feeling worse because you can start to feel bad from the oxalates that are coming out of your tissues, which makes this sort of complicated and a little weird to, to evaluate. Now, um, are there ways, let's say if you're someone that enjoys almonds from time to time, I know you said eliminate, could you just sprouting and doing things like that and soaking nuts, does that help take out some of the oxalates? Yeah, so that's a really big question people ask early on is how to reduce the oxalates in the food that you're eating. And the overall big answer before you get into the details is it doesn't work. There aren't good ways to reduce oxalate except for extraction. So if you highly refine a food and turn potatoes into potato starch, there's no oxalate. If you turn whole turmeric root into curcumin extract, there's practically no oxalate. If you turn peanuts into peanut oil, there's almost no oxalate in oils, but the sprouting, see the seeds are storing calcium with oxalate crystals. They're also putting uh, oxalate crystals out in the bran layers and the other outer layers of the seeds and grains to protect them, to make them hard because these crystals that form these calcium oxalate crystals, they're harder than teeth. They're very sturdy and sharp and tough. And they can just stay there for a long time. And so they're there as part of the outer shell. But when you're sprouting a seed, the, the, the enzymatic action starts breaking down the calcium oxalate crystals to use the calcium as an enzymatic cofactor to make proteins. So what do you have when you split the calcium off of a calcium oxalate crystal? You have oxalic acid. So now you've liberated the crystal, which is generally not absorbable and won't get into your blood, into the acid, which is the part that gets into your bloodstream and starts ruining your organs and your vascular system and your kidneys. So in a way, sprouting might make it worse. There isn't a lot of research on this, though. We haven't deliberately gone after this question in any deep systemic way. So we don't have good solid answers, but we know that it looks like the soluble oxalate, that's oxalic acid, goes up when you sprout it. So you may be making it even more toxic. And on the same vein, almond milk, which is mostly water, you think, well, there's only eight almonds in there. I can have all the almond milk I want because there's not a lot. 
but it's actually pretty toxic because it's the acid that's floating around in the water so beautifully diluted that it's more easily absorbed because all that water is getting absorbed into the body and pulling oxalate with the water. So really, in a way, maybe a handful of almonds might be less toxic than almond milk. If you're not drinking a lot of fluids with them, that it becomes less absorbable. That's confusing, probably. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, if someone like was going to have a nut butter, was there certain nuts that might you might be more tolerable to and are lower in oxalates? Well, the lowest ones are is um, really just one. The super low one is pumpkin seeds. Okay. That's very low. But if you want some moderately low, there's macadamia and um, walnuts okay. and sesame. No, cancel that. <laughs> Sunflower. Okay. So pumpkin seeds, macadamia nuts, wal walnuts, and, and sun sunflower seeds. Sunflower seeds. Yeah. Okay. But the chia, hemp, and sesame seeds are not good, and the like the this the popular ones aren't so great. Okay. And to that individual who's having a spinach smoothie every day, what mm. would you what, what what would you say to them? I mean. I would uh, say in the future, I hope people get arrested for doing that, particularly if they do it to their children. Um, but in the meantime, please, please, please put something other than spinach in your smoothie. Lettuce is fine. That Most of the greens are okay. The bad greens that are really uber, uber, uber high in oxalate are spinach, beets, chard, and sorrel. Very few people use sorrel, especially in the U.S., unless you're a gardener and grow your own. So in beets and, and chard is literally the same vegetable. Uh, and the red is worse than the white chard. So, but they're all off the charts too much oxalate in them. All the other greens are low in oxalate. Kale, cabbage, okay. lettuces, watercress, arugula. And they're low enough to not worry about. But lettuce and cabbage are especially low in oxalate. So in they have more nutrients or more bioavailable. You got to know when there's oxalate in a food like spinach, you're not getting any calcium. You're getting negative calcium. It's actually sucking calcium out of your system. Whereas lettuce, you're getting nutrients out of it. You're not out of spinach. And what's your diet now? Uh, is it more animal, obviously animal based? And and do you include like fruit and things like that? I know you said kiwi is not great. Uh, are there any other fruits that people should maybe keep an eye out. Yeah, watch out. D definitely star fruit, don't do that which people don't in this country. Uh there that's like sort of the spinach of the fruit world. It's really crazy high. And then there's blackberries and whole pomegranate, but pomegranate juice in small amounts is probably fine. Uh, so the fruits aren't as bad as some other departments, but the kiwi, star fruit, blackberry, pomegranate, figs um they're kind of bad and if you know if you're doing things like grapefruit you need to stick with just like half a grapefruit you can it's dose you know so if you're piling up on anything you can it starts adding up mm -hmm. but um i i do use a papaya for myself and i recommend people use modest amounts of pineapple but the really low 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 oxalate fruits are the melons the whole cucubit family the cucumber the winter squash and the the melons cassava um, honeydew, cantaloupe, those kinds of things. Watermelon, those are all low oxalate. Did you say cassava? Oh, I didn't mean to say cassava. The <laughs> I was I actually curious about that because you're seeing yeah. cassava in a lot of things now. It's like, right. it's a cassava. That's terrible. Taro, taro, cassava chips are everywhere now and so are plantain chips. So plantain, cassava, taro, they're very high in oxalate. 
and they're popular. Yep. Okay. No, there's a, there's a, obviously my brain is stalling today. Um, <laughs> I ate something I was allergic to last night and Uh-oh. not helping my brain. Uh, so, but there is a, several different types of those melons, one of which begins with a C. <laughs> But yeah, the the plantains, cassava, and you know, it's like everywhere on the airplanes. And we make these taro chips with the all the different roots in there, the beets and the purple sweet potatoes, and these they're they're worse than potato chips. And potato chips are pretty bad because they're very high in the oxalic acid. It seems like deep frying the potato seals in that oxalic acid, so it's what high and soluble, like eighty seven percent or something soluble oxalate in potato chip. Now, let's say you like sweet potato because I do like sweet potato. It, it does cooking it do anything um and like well it makes it safe to eat because the most of these root vegetables are very toxic right. eaten raw uh you, if you boil sweet potato you can reduce it a little bit because the the soluble oxalate leaks into the water and that's more true even for broccoli but it's not true for every vegetable the few tests we have like on asparagus it's the same amount of oxalate whether boiled or not um, but for the more medium foods, like the broccoli has got a little bit of oxalate for a normal healthy portion. It's a little on the high side unless you boil it. So a good solid three plus minutes of boiling will lower the oxalate in broccoli, help with sweet potato, but you still need to keep your portion down to like half cup or less. Yeah. And, and in the book, I've got very specific tables about how much oxalate, if you want 20 milligrams of oxalate or 30 milligrams, this is how much sweet potato you get to have. So there's some very specific ways to attempt to quantify it both with weight and volume, but you have to remember that the food that you've purchased and the way you've prepared it hasn't been tested. And there's variability in nature based on the growing conditions, the variety, how much humidity, how much pesticides, how ripe it is, how it's been stored. All these things can impact oxalate content. So we, it's sort of a guesstimate so estimating oxalate based on testing but you don't get to know exactly how much you're eating because your food didn't run to the lab before you cut it open okay so it's sort of an individualized basis as far as testing is concerned and then as far as the food goes like yeah variable like even if i had a twin sister she would still be different than me yeah right there's variability in nature for lots of factors and the book is Toxic Superfoods. When did you write the book? When it, it just it came took out. It a while and it yeah. just got released in January. So it's just four months old and four months and a week old. Okay. And getting some really interesting results where people are getting a chance to learn this and try it out. It has enough specifics in it where people can really take on this diet and it's it's helping people. Right. I mean, I think you know part of the reason the carnivore diet grew in popularity was sort of these the anti-nutrients in plant foods and how, you know, they're trying to protect themselves and things like that. This is, goes along the same lines. Um, is this part of the reason why some of these plants are higher in oxalate? Is it for their protection? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I, the plants who seem to be high in oxalate, we, t- we tend to say they're high in anti-inflammatory phytochemicals, mm. which in itself is a whole mythology and misnomer that's a whole nother discussion, but I'm beginning to think that if you make a lot of oxalate, you need more of these supposed anti-inflammatory chemicals as a plant, like the plants protecting itself from its own oxalate. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so, yeah, oxalate's sort of the the big bad boy of plant anti-nutrients. It's the worst one because there's no good way to soak or sprout or cook your way out of the deal because the heat doesn't destroy them. The pressure doesn't destroy them. The soaking may make it worse, you know, but the other things, phytates and a lot of them, there's a way around it with the lectins. You soak for three days and use a pressure cooker and you disarm these giant proteins. Right. But the acid and the crystals that, that it forms are not heat destroyed. I'm going to have to, I, I order uh, this sprouted almond butter, which is really good from this philosopher's stone. I think it's called, it's a small company, but I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to change that a little bit. Maybe I'll go with macadamia nut butter. How about that? As a transition food yeah. <laughs> and then start eating more butter, butter. I do. I do. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm fairly animal-based. We, we don't, we don't have a lot of the, these oxalate foods that you mentioned. This is just the one that, the other one that I was looking on your blog, you talk about is uh, coffee. Uh, is coffee or probably dependent on the bean, but is it, is it low oxalate? Oh, it's very low in oxalate. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the post is about how silly science can be. And they have tea and coffee in the title of supposedly scientific articles is if tea and coffee are both high in oxalate and they're not like tea is high compared to a lot of things, not as high as spinach by a long shot. I mean, a cup of tea might be 20 milligrams where a spinach salad is 550 or something mm. like that. You know, right. like they're in different leagues, but if you have tea every day and potatoes every day and you throw in some spinach in your salads and some almonds, you're in trouble. Like it, they add up over, but this, there's a lot of mythology about what is high and what isn't high in oxalate. What is your current diet like now? Yeah, so I am very meat centric. I eat a lot of seafood, tuna and sardines and a lot of pork and butter and some papaya and coconut and some lemons and some limes. But mostly I'm pretty much pretty carnivore, but I need a little bit of carbs. I use a little coconut water and a little bit of papaya and I eat a lot of butter. And for the first time, you know, I really feel hopeful. I don't feel I need my little ranch house. I could do stairs now for the first time. I'm almost 60 years old. I just turned 59 a few months ago. And that means I'm in my sixth decade. <laughs> and that sounds sort of scary, but it's the first time I've felt sturdy and fine physically in since I was 12. Wow. Yeah. And, and my question too, was you talked about, I think you talked about with Dr. Saladino regarding um, calcium in the diet and how important that is because these oxalates do sort of strip calcium from your bones. Is that correct? Yes. And calcium is the key binder that removes oxalate from the body. So if you're calcium deficient, it becomes hard to remove oxalate from the body. And when you take calcium, a lot of it just stays in the colon and that's an attractant that helps the colon excrete oxalate. Now it's mostly the kidneys that excrete oxalate, you know, oxalate becomes kidney stones and a condition called nephrocalcinosis, which we all die with these calcium oxalates diffusely hanging out in the kidney tissue that didn't block the tubules and cause a kidney stone and, and make you have pain because the kidneys were literally eating and pulling in the oxalate out of these tubules where the urine flows to keep you from having a kidney stone. And because we eat potatoes and these all the time, we all die with oxalate crystals in our thyroid gland, in our kidneys, our tendons, our bone and bone marrow. And our brain tissue. So getting in calcium, what are the best ways would you say to get calcium? I remember we're like, I mean, I know leafy greens have calcium, but it, you probably don't need to absorb most of that. 
Well, not at all. Right. Yeah. Cabbage but, has some. Yeah. Some calcium, but you really, it's tough to get calcium and the way we've devastated ourselves with the plant foods that are high oxalate, you can't begin to get enough calcium and the classic nutrition. We've always been pushing dairy foods because you need calcium so badly on this plant centric nutrition that we've been pushing since the dawn of the scientific nutrition in the 1880s and 90s. Uh, very quickly, we started turning, oh, well, we should get cheap protein and find cheap ways to get protein. And we should make poor people eat beans and stuff. So we started doing plant heavy nutrition when we started measuring protein, thinking, oh, well, if it's just a protein you need, you can get it from anywhere. Mm. Uh, so that's that's the problem where we've been, we need calcium more than ever now. And so dairy foods are really the best. And then sardine bones, you know, cause you can just chew those up and their sardines are great because they have the skin on them and the bones that's collagen, that's omega-3s, that's protein, that's calcium, that's other minerals, that's iodine, like all these vitamin E. There's so many things that are in fish that really the most efficient food for getting all those nutrients is a sardine. Um, but if you can eat cheese and real dairy products, the less processed, the better, you know, like classic Swiss cheeses that aren't even pasteurized milk. If you can eat those, those are great sources of calcium. And um, how do they test for oxalates? Is it, do you know how they do that? In the body? Yeah, in the body. And then even just uh, like these companies that are putting these lists out. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, how, how do they even test for this stuff? I don't, you know, it's just well, and that's been a real conundrum because it's tricky. And, you know, in a biologic fluid, whether it's your urine or whether it's a grapefruit, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of compounds. And one of the compounds right. in there is vitamin C, and vitamin C quickly degrades into oxalate. And so you can get it wrong. And, and having, you know, if you're doing a, a oil, you need a different test versus something very watery. And depending, you have to, so you have to be able to isolate enough what you're looking for and control all these other things that affect the chemistry and use the right test. So the, the coffee blog post on my website talks about how they use the wrong test. They use a permanganate test, permanganate test, which is terrible. And it used to be before about 1980, the, the testing was not very good with food mm -hmm. and not all that great with biological you know, tissue samples such as urine. So, and this is one reason why oxalates got sort of thrown under the bus. We knew about this dietary poisoning syndrome called the oxalic acid diathesis in uh, 1842 was when it started being used in medicine. So the, the toxicity syndrome of eating too many oxalates in your diet was a known diagnosis for over a hundred years. But when we started relying on blood tests, and urine tests, especially blood tests, we we dropped the whole thing because it doesn't show up in the blood. The body doesn't like a poison in the blood. The body carefully controls what's in the blood. It has to have the right things and not the bad things as much as it can. And so the kidneys work hard to keep the blood clean and the skin helps and the colon helps and the liver helps. And so it's hard to test for both in foods and in um, body fluids. So it's, it's a little tough. Plus, in the, our biology, in the background is this very wise life force. It's got all these agendas and all these ways of doing things. And it's doing things in circadian rhythms on a daily circadian pattern, monthly, annually. 
And there's all kinds of variation going on as part of the body keeping everything okay. And so you can't just pick any old time and say that's representative of the whole day, of the whole month, of the whole year. You have to keep being willing to sample and understand it. And we haven't studied it enough to really understand it. And one of the biggest risks you mentioned already was kidney stones. Do you run into a lot of people who reach out to you because of what oxalates have done and how it, it... They've had kidney stones? They're a whole renal system. I have kidney stone clients. I have people with cystic cystic kidneys and various kidney diseases. I have people with bladder stone problems and urethra problems. So the whole urinary tract can have different expressions. It's so interesting because it's the same problem of having eaten too much spinach and try to get healthy on like carrots and whatever. And it shows up so differently. One man I've worked with, it was just his bladder. The rest, he's high energy. He doesn't seem to have osteoporosis. He doesn't seem to be having the brain fog or the sleep problems. It's just his bladder. His bladder was so severely damaged. He told me that his doctor said he had over 100,000 stones in his bladder. And it ruined his urethra. So his ability to control his urination is completely gone. His system just dribbles on him all the time. Is that destructive? Now he's been doing my protocol and juicing lemons because citric acid and lemons and the other elements, but mostly the citric acid helps to dissolve those crystals. So now he's been scoped and his doctor says he has very few, maybe four or five crystals in his bladder down from a hundred thousand from going on the diet and doing lemons. So, but it's so interesting because then other people have cystic kidneys or kidney stones or none of the above. I have had zero urinary tract problems at all and i've been peeing out crystals because you can see them in the cloudy urine can you you can well when there's a microscope (laughs) most of what we pee out is actually the ion so that's an invisible tiny little molecule dissolved in water that's said to be 80 or 90 percent of what we're peeing all the time that's invisible and then when you have a high spike of oxalate in your bloodstream because you just had a spinach salad that you're going to have a lot more of these toxic nanocrystals, which are impossible to see. But then if you're getting bigger crystals coming out that are big enough to see in a microscope or big enough to refract light, and you have a lot of these light refracting crystals in your urine, it looks milky or cloudy because the light Mm -hmm. is bouncing off. The light can't pass through that water. So if you don't have any crystals, you can see right to the bottom of the toilet bowl. It's just a little yellow dye kind of look in the water. But when you're peeing out a lot of oxalates, you're shedding not just whole crystals sometimes, but cells because the tubules in the kidneys where the urine is forming, sometimes the body will just sacrifice those surface cells and kill them off to help flush out the crystals. So you can also have lots of cell debris that's causing the cloudiness. What did that that gentleman that you just mentioned, what was he, what was the main diet that he was eating that caused that? Was it? He got on a health kick because he had a chronic a virus, famous virus called HIV. And those guys all all um, went on the like juicing and health food kick. So he'd been doing juicing and all the healthy foods as part of not dying of what originally was called the gay cancer. You know, it's very serious. Your friends are dying and they're on too much drugs and that's not helping them survive either. You know, it was really quite a crisis that arose in the mid 80s of the AIDS thing. And so he he's around from, he's not a young thing anymore. And he survived all that. He survived so many things. 
And yet what he's left with is the oxalate devastation in this urinary tract. From doing juices. Yeah. Well, if someone was doing juicing, are there certain, like, for example, carrots? How are carrots um, for the bot as far as oxalates? They're kind of high-ish. And so if you start juicing them and using them a lot, it's too much. Okay. So if you have a... Use carrots. Like when you're making soup and you're cutting up one carrot to serve six servings, you're fine. Right. When you start making it a big side dish or juicing it, you know, or or piling up on it because you think it's going to kill cancer. It's not going to kill cancer. It's going to create cancer because of the oxalates. Yeah. You know, there's a, it's, it's crazy. Cause you know, these superfoods that, you know, there's like, there's like a mixed, mixed message that goes on. You could drive yourself crazy <laughs> with a lot of this it's stuff. Really and, tough. It's really you know. tough because this is so against the way we've been trained to think, you know, that's why it was hard for me to pick up on it and understand it. And when no one understood it, I had to, in order to understand it, I had to spend all my Sundays and other time in the library really, really, really deeply trying to understand it and working with other people and seeing how when you go on this diet, how miraculously you start getting better from incurable things. Mm. Um, So it's really just working with reality and getting back to actual science rather than all the assumptions that get translated into products, gets translated into cultural memes, gets translated into covers of magazines. And we, we pick up theories and start making them true, true, true in culture when they're not true, true, true in biology. They were somebody's theory. And now we believe a lot of mythology that's getting us into trouble. And we have a huge public health crises where the children are sicker at younger, younger ages. We have more and more problems. We're on more prescription meds. We have more depression. We have more pain syndromes. We have more people on pain medications and now addicted to drugs. Like we're really in trouble because a lot of what we believe about how to live isn't working. And you mentioned something about lemons. So like just squeezing lemons in water, obviously, is that a good place to start as far as getting vitamin C and things? Yeah. The research suggests that a half cup of lemon juice a day is enough to dissolve kidney stones. And we're talking Mm. about the kidney stones that are forming all over your body. Getting enough citrate help is helpful. The citric acid in the lemons is helpful because it turns into bicarbonate, some fraction of it helps to lower acidity in the body. So the first thing it does is it helps to alkalize us. The citric acid will sit on these crystals and help them break down. Instead of being harder than teeth, they become softer, more chalky, and that makes it easier for the body to break them up. It protects the kidneys from forming kidney stones because it keeps the the stones from, you have higher levels of citric acid in your urine when when you're more alkaline and when you're eating more citrate. So the lemon juice is very helpful. It also has a low level of vitamin C, which is ironically quite helpful at the, at a physiologic level. We need C. Um, you just don't need to supplement vitamin C because a thousand milligrams of vitamin C creates a lot of oxalate in the body. Vitamin C degenerates into oxalate. So you don't want to be doing 500 or a thousand milligrams of C supplements. You want to do things like lettuce and lemon juice to get vitamin C without overdoing it. Um, so yeah, this, the lemon juice is a great thing to do, low, getting away from the nuts, getting out of the spinach green smoothie thing and not combining like now on the internet, people are combining sweet potatoes, cocoa powder, chocolates, very high in oxalate and other high oxalate ingredients to make brownies and cookies and treats and thinking, oh, this is a healthy way to have treats. And they're making them for children and children's kidneys cannot handle all this oxalate giving them 
sweet potatoes with almond butter and chocolate. There's various ways to combine those and turn them into any treat you want to make. And it's quite dangerous. Hmm. Well, there you have it. <laughs> Clean out the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do, send me a picture. Like Ooh. pull off pull off these high oxalate, the cassava chips and the almonds and everything, the almond flowers, and take a whole picture of all these different foods and look for the list on my website, the chia seeds, the turmeric. You'll see it all over your cupboard potentially. And take me a picture and send me that because that's really eye-opening how much it's everywhere. Sally K. Norton book is Toxic Superfoods, and you can find it pretty much anywhere, right? Yes, anywhere. It's been slow to get to Australia. The the boat's coming any minute now. <laughs> and apparently they're going to start producing it locally because it's been it's been got stuck on some boats somewhere. Wow. But if you keep bugging your retailers, they will come up with it because it is random house. So they should be able to get it. Awesome. And your your website's sallyknorton.com. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all this knowledge. And uh, actually, I w- I've almost left. I-, I will ask you one last question that I ask all my guests. If you had to give one tip to a middle-aged man or woman who's trying to get their body back to what it once was, what one tip would you give them? Eat plenty of protein every time you eat with yeah. some healthy fats. And so that would be animal proteins. I like to go for like five ounces minimum per meal. And that will really help you rebuild your bones and muscles. You don't want sarcopenia. You don't want to be a weakling. You want solid bones and muscles. And that's good. That's not going to cause kidney stones, but alkalize, have the lemon and some minerals to alkalize and correct any potential acidity from any of that. That's easy to do. It's perfectly safe. And a protein is animal proteins are really good for you. Love it. Yeah. I just did a interview not that long ago, but I rebroadcasted with Don Lehman, Dr. Lehman. He's a big protein guy. So yeah, they got their full dose of that. So um, prioritize protein and uh, a little lemon water will go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Butter too. is always good. There you go. Cook the meat and butter. How about that? How about that? And yep. I love to make like a butter sauce for fish. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sally, thank you so much, and uh, we'll look. I'll put links in the show notes for all this, so people can can uh, get your book and uh, read all about it. So, thanks again for coming on, Ryan. I really appreciate you talking about oxalates, and I can't wait to hear what you do instead of your almond butter. I'm <laughs> so glad. You're I know. I got to get rid of it. I, I I pretty much knew this, but the fact that it was sprouted, I was like, well, that might help, but doesn't sound we always like i needed all these excuses to keep my sweet potatoes i was sure it was like the kind of oxalates in the sweet potatoes aren't the kind that's bad for me (laughs) like we're always working on like justifying (laughs) something we're not ready to let go of but eventually keep educating yourself and you'll be more than ready because it is scary i don't want to scare anybody i just want you to have an option to be healthy and realize that you're better off without it yeah very true all right sally thank you thank you Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.